Welcome to the podcast. I'm Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Your Daily Drive. You can find me at rickthomas.net. All roads to the internet lead to our sanctification center, and we would love for you to come inside. We have thousands upon thousands of resources of all types, and so if you are looking for help in your walk with Jesus Christ, our ministry primarily focuses on the practical message of Christ Or as the Great Commission teaches, Jesus told us to teach them all that I have, all that you have observed, teach them all that I have taught you. And so that is the part of the Great Commission where we focus the most. We want to teach fellow believers around the world how to live out the practical message of Christ. And I'm so glad that you're listening to this podcast. I want to share a little bit of an autobiographical story when I first became a Christian in 1984, which is when God regenerated me shortly after that. I belonged to a a legalistic church, and I began to learn that what, what I was learning in the Bible and what I saw in my legalistic culture, well, those were beginning to divide. Those were two different things, and a duality in my life began to form. The things that I was learning practically from God's Word, that I was learning in my private reading, but how I lived publicly among my religious friends was a little bit different because the customs and the traditions that they held to and that they taught and were somewhat dogmatic about were different from things that I was picking up on the Bible, and so that created a significant problem. And so I want to share a part of that, how I worked through that, and I hope it will be a benefit to you. Now, I have written this podcast out for you, and so you can read every bit of it. You can read every word of this podcast. I think there's about 2,100 words when I looked at it a few moments ago after I was finishing the editing process. And the title of the podcast and the title of that article on our website is The Problem Letting Religious People Know the Real You. And that was my problem. I did not There was a temptation to hide my real self, my personal struggles, the things that I was struggling with, with my religious culture because of condemnation, because I could not live up to the standard in which they they communicated. And by the way, a list that I embraced. And so I want to start the podcast by—let me introduce it this way. Becoming a Christian— It does not remove the fear of being rejected by others. Everybody in the universe wants to be accepted at least by somebody. We don't want to be accepted by everybody necessarily, but there are people that we do not want to feel their rejection. And this may be bad news for some of you. Becoming regenerated, born again, when God makes you a Christian, it doesn't remove that fear in its totality. Now, that could be a disappointment to you. Things like this were a disappointment to me because I thought that after God regenerated me that I would have no problems whatsoever for the rest of my life. I was that naive. I was that dumb about the Bible, but I didn't know anything about the Bible. And so I just knew that I needed to change. I knew that God needed to change me. And so I asked God to save me in whatever language I used back then. And then shortly thereafter, I realized that, well, you know, being saved and getting your ticket punched for heaven and maturing in your walk with Jesus are two different things in that sense. They're distinct from one another in that sense. And so I wasn't changed. And so becoming becoming a Christian, 
it does provide you with a new people group and new opportunities. Now, that changed. I had new friends. I had new opportunities to belong to something. But here's the mistake that I had in my thinking. It doesn't mean that you are to live with your new friends while wearing a mask. I didn't know this after the Lord regenerated me. And when I began to learn the culture of of my religious people, I began to act behaviorally, externally, the way they acted, because I wanted to be accepted by them, even though I felt differently, I knew differently on the inside. Let me share a text of Scripture with you, Luke 7, 36 through 39. You're familiar with this, but I want to read it to you, and you can look at it later. By the way, if you're on our website and if you're on articles, you can hover over the article address, like Luke 7, 36 through 39 here. If you hover over it, it will pop up for you. And you can read it right from the webpage, and you don't even have to leave our, our website, praise God. But here's Luke 7. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went in, Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping she was, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them, his feet, with the ointment in the alabaster flask. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, quote, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. That's Luke 7, 36-39. The sinner woman in this story could not conceal her sinfulness from the religious people in the room. She was frowned upon. But what could she do? She loved Jesus, and the sinner woman wanted to express that love to Christ. So she showed up where Jesus was doing Jesus things. Now, the problem was that a bunch of religious people were there too. Now, while her sinfulness was evident to all, everybody in the room, their sin, the religious people, their sin was nicely tucked and hidden behind their religious garb. That put the sinner lady at a disadvantage. Now, the good news is that she had Jesus. Whenever you're at a disadvantage, when you can't hide your issues, you have Jesus. And that proved to be all she needed to be justified. You see, there were two people groups in the room that day, both of whom were religious. In one corner, we have the sinner woman. And in the other corner were the religious sinners. You see how both groups are really the same? It's just that one is an open and obvious sinner woman and the other... They have their sin issues tucked nicely behind their religious garb, their sin shrouded by their self-righteous religiosity. 
but Jesus was also in the room. He was like a a referee whose primary job was to make sure everyone was playing fair, which is why he eventually spoke up. And rather than addressing the behaviors that the religious people dialed in on about this woman, he focused on the motivations behind their actions. One of the most important questions you could ever ask yourself is why you do what you do. The why question is more important than the what question because the what flows out of the why What we do comes from the motivations of our hearts. All actions are that way. Good or bad actions are tied, connected to our motives. And when you see what a person does, you want to be careful. Before you judge too quickly, you want to understand the why behind it. If you only judge a book by its cover, you may misjudge the book. Look inside the book to honestly know what the book is about and the intent of its author. The religious people in the room observed the sinner woman from an external perspective, while Jesus perceived her heart motivations. It reminds me of 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says this, For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. A religious Looking person does not mean the person is a lover of Jesus. Not always. And by the way, a non-religious looking person does not mean the person has no affection for Jesus. We want to pump the brakes when we are looking at individuals, and that was the mistake that the religious people had in the room that day when they were reclining with Jesus as they were looking at this sinner woman with an alabaster flask. When it comes to behaviors that we observe in others, or even in ourselves, by the way, we must be more cautious about our assumptions and opinions than what we are seeing The danger is obvious. If our behaviors were the only way to know our true selves, all we need to do is learn the accepted, expected, and preferred practices within the people group that we want to accept us. But therein lies the trap that too many of of us have fallen prey. You see, it's far easier to manifest ourselves externally, outwardly, as something than it is to be something on the inside. The temptation to present ourselves as something on the outside while being something entirely different on the inside is part of our Adamic inheritance. You see, Adam covered his shame with fig leaves, and we feel that internal awkwardness that the Bible calls shame. It is, it is in us, and the temptation for us can be to cover our shame while presenting ourselves as something that we are not. That's what the religious people were doing. They were just like you and me, broken, fallen people, not, not perfect on the inside, but they presented themselves as something that was incongruent with who they really were on the inside. The person we present to the world is like our public relations manager. He helps us with our image. And this is one of the dastardly things about Facebook. 
Facebook, everybody has their PR person, their public relations manager presenting their best selfie, best edited photo, best aspects of their lives. We present to the world. The person that we present is is presented by our public relations manager. He helps us with our image. The person we want others to know while hoping they will accept that person. The person we present, which is born out of a fear that we will be found out for who we are in actuality. You see, everybody has a representative the person who represents us to the world. Our desire is to be accepted. We fear that others will reject us. So what do we do? We figure out what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And we craft our lives according to our most likely chance of being loved by whatever person or people group that we want to love us. The Pharisees had this down to a science. They knew what looked good externally. By the way, it would be helpful to read Matthew 23 to get an idea of how Jesus thought about these people who were externally worshiping, in, in quotation marks, but inside was full of dead men's bones. The sinner woman with the alabaster flask didn't have that option. She looked bad on the outside, but what they missed was how much affection she had for the Lord. Being made in the image of God implies many things one of which is a desire to be in a community. It is our Adamic instincts that make this good thing go wonky. Our Adamic instincts makes every good thing go wonky if we're not careful. And instead of desiring a community for the right reasons, we wish it for the wrong reasons. Our temptation is to hedge our bets by not revealing our true selves to those that we want to accept us. We use community, we manipulate community so that we can feed our egos and, and bolster up our image that we want bolstered up in the public space. We don our fig leaves hoping that this iteration of ourselves will be accepted. We cannot risk the chance of being kicked to the curb, which is problematic on so many levels. The biggest of which is how we, we will tolerate a little bit of hypocrisy in ourselves. We want to be presented in such a way that we will, we will be tempted and maybe succumb to the temptation of tolerating a little bit of hypocrisy in ourselves. It's like going to a masquerade ball. We put on our mask, we head out to the dance, thinking our disguise is just enough to enjoy the community without being found out for who we are. What I have just described to you is acceptable behavior among too many within our Christian community. Forget about the culture. D don't even think about the culture. We know how our lost friends are charlatans. We know how they live at the masquerade ball. There's no need to compare ourselves to them as though we are doing any better on the righteous food chain. We're not. We have the same temptations. After the Lord regenerated me, I was not part of a local church. And this is how I fell into this temptation. This is the autobiographical part of this story. I began my pursuit of God before I found a church. It was eight or nine months later before I eventually joined a church, a legalistic church, as we call them around here, fundamental, fundamentalist church, fundamental Baptist churches to be specific. And because I didn't know the ropes of religion, I, I bought a living Bible 
which is not a good Bible, by the way. It's not a Bible at all, actually. But I bought a living Bible and started working out my salvation according to how God was working in me. Now, during that season of my life, I was an, an avid cyclist. I loved riding a bicycle. I had a very expensive bicycle, which means you could pick it up with one finger with the alloy and the way it was constructed. It was an awesome bicycle. But it also means that I dressed like a cyclist. I wore the shortest of shorts and, and see-through tank tops. I used to say that I rode my bicycle naked. Now, that's not precisely the truth, but it's not far from the truth. I rode comfortably and aerodynamically. And so you went with minimalization when you, when you rode your bicycle the way that I did. And I'm talking about 100-mile bike tracks. And then I found a church community. And within that community, I began to perceive a peculiar set of customs, like dressing, for example. And so I was out of, I was out of step with my church culture, but I learned the ropes. Let me give you a few examples of how my church culture trained me. For example, all the men wore suits to the church meetings. Everyone carried a King James Bible to those meetings. We attend meet, attended meetings three times a week. Sunday, twice on Sunday, once on Wednesday, plus another night for organized door knocking to tell random people about Jesus, called also called evangelization. On our non-church days, we wore long pants and other clothes that covered 95% of our bodies. I learned a, another language. For example, everybody's name began with either brother or sister. We did not drink alcohol. We did not listen to any music other than Christian but only our approved kind of Christian music, because you know there's devilish Christian music out there. We had no close friends who were part of who were not part of our brand of Christianity, meaning we basically just hung out with our kind, and whenever we found ourselves not with our kind, we were socially awkward and not able to relate to them because we've never been trained to relate to those that we need to be witnessing to. And so those conversations were always awkward. John MacArthur was a liberal. John Calvin was a heretic. I lie not. This is how I was trained. Now, there was more. There was much more. There was much, much more. There were lists. There were many lists. Each person had a unique list. I lie not. And so I became a good student of the Bible and I became a good student of the Christian culture, even though there were times when those two things did not relate well to each other. And as those things began to separate in my heart and practice, I began to live two different lives. I privately read God's Word. I processed it. I reflected on God's Word, and, and it was truly meat for my soul. But... I publicly made sure I was conforming to the expectations of the Christian community regardless of how it conflicted with my Bible reflections. You see the dichotomy here. Over time, I, I masked my most authentic identity because I didn't want my Christian community to think I was something other than what was unanimously accepted, approved, and supported by the community. Now, that worldview made me a dichotomized Christian. Dichotomy means two. I was split in half. I had views about Scripture inside of me, but I lived 
out the Christian life differently or not always consistently with what God was teaching me inside. And the more I learned the ropes of religion, the more incongruent I became on the inside. Over time, I became comfortable at the masquerade ball. This is so, this is so awful. Always knowing there was another kind of me on the inside, but my irrepressible fear was that the clock would strike midnight and I would be found out for who I was. What I have just described to you is not the religion that Jesus taught. What I have explained to you is madness. It is a form of insanity. Pretended to be something that you are not. Isn't that what they do in the insane asylum? Isn't that what James talked about in the first chapter of his letter, the double-minded person? James said a person who did not seek wisdom from the Lord would have two heads, have two minds. I was a Christian with two heads. Our culture would diagnose me with a multiple personality disorder. Part of me was genuinely religious. I do want you to hear that. A true lover of God. Part of me sucked out loud. That was an expression from the 70s, but I could never say the word sucked because my friends would treat me as though I was like that sinner lady if I said the S word. Part of me would never smoke a cigarette, but part of me would have loved to have a toke, a hit, a bump. If you don't know what those words mean, I won't tell you because I don't want you to treat me like that sinner lady. I lived in two worlds. Adams and the Lords and the Twain never was going to meet. Not if I could help it. All my eggs were in the Christian basket, and I knew what would happen if my religious friends identified the darker parts of me. But then the worst thing that could have happened to me happened to me. My wife divorced me. That was doomsday. One of the unwritten rules of my Christian faith was the one strike and you're out clause. It was in the fine print at the bottom of the page. And though I was aware of the clause, being divorced, one strike you're out, it did not matter to me because I was not divorced. And then I was. And my Christian friends began to separate from me. They relegated me to the back row of the Christian universe. I received a new rank that put me on the periphery of acceptability. I could no longer speak in public settings. The only task I could perform was passing out Bible tracts to the hookers downtown, the prostitutes. The more accepted and respected jobs belonged to those who didn't have black marks on their resume. You can insert a wink here because we all have black marks on our resume. The secret to keeping your resume clean is to double down on hiding your blemishes from any public scrutiny. If you can pull that off, which obviously I could not because I had the unpardonable sin, but if you can pull that off, religious people people won't treat you like the lady holding the alabaster box. You remember 739 of Luke? And when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. The title of this podcast is The Problem, Letting Religious People Know the Real You. 
I want to finish this podcast by by giving you a, a call to action. And here's my primary question that I want you to think about in this podcast. What do you think about what you just heard? If you could write down a three or four sentences right now, what do you think about what you just heard? What would you write down? Say it out loud. If you're, if you're driving in your car now, you're heading to work, what would you say about what you just heard as you process this story quickly? Without thinking, just impulsively, what would you, what do you think about this podcast? If you become sinfully angry at the Pharisees in this story, or let's become more personal, if you become sinfully angry at the Pharisees in your life today, then you are no different from them. If you become sinfully angry at the religious people in your life or in your past, then you're no different from them. Do you see what you're doing? Because if you become sinfully angry toward them, you're doing the exact same thing they're doing, looking down on another individual who is not like you. What do you think about this podcast you just heard? But if you feel pity for the Pharisees from a heart of humility as you think about the religious people in your life or in your past life, or the religious systems that you were a part of. Many of you are listening to this podcast and you were part of difficult, challenging, disappointing, heartbreaking religious systems, and you're, you're still angry over it in a sinful way, even though you might want to spin it and say that you're righteously angry. Well, if you, if you don't pity those religious systems, those religious people who broke your heart, then you really haven't truly learned and applied the lesson that Jesus taught in this story. You see, part of our call to action is to pity those who are still stuck in the bondage of religious systems. Being irate at them or uh, sinfully critical of them and condemning them and sinfully angry of them, uh, that's not the way of Christ. And so here's your call to action is to pity anyone who is still stuck in the bondage of I say here religious system because that's the context of this podcast, but, but stuck in sin. Not to criticize them as, as though we're any better than they are. As Paul said, what have you received that was not given to you? All of us were bound in sin. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so with that as the backdrop of the call to action and in this podcast slash article, I have some questions for you. Number one, do you live in a transparent, open, honest, and reciprocating Christian community? If not, why not? You don't want to live a dichotomized life that you're incongruent, you're, you're hiding your real self on the inside, presenting yourself as something else on the outside. Do you live in a transparent, open, honest, and reciprocating, meaning other people are interacting with you that way? transparent, open, and honest. If not, why not? Number two, are you actively modeling transparency, openness, honesty among your Christian friends? You see, one way to get other people to open up, somebody's got to lead here. Somebody's got to take the point. Somebody's got to be first. And if everybody in the room is not willing to do that, then you do that. Maybe tentatively, with wisdom, with discretion, but with intentionality that you're going to live a transparent, open, and honest life among your 
Christian friends because you have a bigger goal in mind here. Part of that goal is for your own redemptive restoration, your own Christian maturity. Part of that is so that you can help them as well. Number three, are you creating a culture of grace that motivates your friends to be more honest about themselves when they are around you? We don't want to be like the Pharisee where we present such a perfect image about ourselves or we're so stinking religious that it inhibits people from opening up to us. And so what you want to do is to create a culture of grace that that is compelling and it motivates your friends. It's like, I can be honest with this person. I know that I can be honest with this person. Are you that kind of individual? Number four, are you able to be honest with others, to others, about your, your whole self? Your whole self. I'm not meaning that you blare everything, that you blast everything out about yourself to anybody that will listen to you. That's foolish. But within a very tight circle, do you have that person that you can talk to? Number five, are you mortifying your sins daily? Number six, are you maturing in your pursuit of God daily? You will know if you're finally free from bad religion by how you think about and how you talk about your experiences with bad religion. How you think about and how you talk about your experience with bad religion will tell you whether you are like the Pharisees in this story or your affection for Christ is so great that you are free from that kind of thing. Thanks for listening. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.